Why is the father running out to see his son? Because he wants to get out ahead of the family and the village to embrace his son and say, you are still my son. You think the father is driven by new life? He doesn't want his son to experience the brokenness and and the moment where he is now going to be cut off from the rest of the family and the rest of the village. No, he says, you are still my son. And his son is about to tell him how unworthy he is. But the father dishonors himself already and so he continues to go as far as to say, no, actually you do have worth. Hey everybody, and welcome to the Life Church Canton Podcast. My name is Sam, I'm the host. Thanks for listening. This is actually episode number 30 of the podcast, and that for me is a little crazy. It feels like this just started not too long ago, but we're already 30 episodes deep. So thank you to those of you that have been listening faithfully and um, downloading this and leaving reviews and comments. We appreciate that. Um, And if it's new to you, thank you also for tuning in. Um, And If you have listened to the podcast before, you know at the end of it, I uh, give some information about um, finding out more about the church and the network of churches that Life Church is a part of. Um, And there's a few ways to do that. You can click a link to a connect card, but we're going to try something new. Um, Maybe you don't want to go through all the hassle of of going through a browser and clicking a link and filling out a form. Maybe you just want to text something. So we're trying out a new service where you can just text I'm new to this number, 734-349-3475. Again, that number is 734-349-3475. And you'll get some more information about how to get connected to the church. Um, here's Jared. Enjoy the episode. It is good to be with you. Welcome to Life Church. My name is Jared Van Vorst. I am one of the pastors here, and I am thrilled that you are here with us. In fact, I want to say a special welcome to those of you who are new. We said it at the beginning of the service, but just in case you missed it, I want to show you this slide again. We would love for you to text us, to connect with us. Simply just say, I am new to this number, and you can take your phone out and do it right now. We absolutely want you to be able to connect with us because we believe nobody should do life alone. We want to come alongside you, and so you're welcome to do that. If you are new here, welcome. You came at just the right time. We are in a series called This Is Us. This is us. And we've been going through what we call code statements, kind of defining who we have been, who we are, and who we're becoming. And we're excited to get going on this last one. This is the last code of our This Is Us series. But then next week is going to be uh, an incredible and important weekend for us as well because we're going to be talking about partnership. So we want you to come back and get excited about that. But before we begin and reveal this next code, uh, I want to ask you a question. What do you get excited about? Maybe a Michigan win over Iowa, that's always good. I'm fine with that. I don't like the Hawkeyes, so that's, that's fine. We can get excited about Well, what, what gives you energy? What gives you momentum to kind of keep on going? Have you ever heard this phrase before that you get more of what you celebrate? You get more of what you celebrate. Or another way of saying it would be uh, what gets rewarded gets repeated. So you get more of what you celebrate. Celebrate. It's this idea that you get excited about something and you want that thing to keep on happening. As I was thinking about this, uh, there's a video that kept coming to my mind that I really wanted to show because I think it, it actually explains this illustration really, really well. Let me show you what I'm talking about. Hey, everybody. 
Um, Jared used a clip from an NFL game of the Packers and the Patriots here. I linked it in the show notes if you want to take a look, but essentially what happens in this play is it's a kickoff and it's a short kick and it gets fielded by one of the linemen um, and he takes it back, you know, I I think about 60 to 70 yards and the announcers are just having a a fun time announcing it because it's a play that you don't normally see. Um, So that's kind of what he's referring to. Um, I didn't feel comfortable leaving the clip in because I did not have the expressed written consent of the National Football League to do so. So, um, yeah, if you want to if you want to check it out and see it, I linked it in the show notes. Um, but that's essentially what happens in this clip. All right. Here's Jared again. <laughs> I mean, you've seen that before. I love that video. There's a variety of different reasons why I like that video, especially as it relates to being driven and having momentum and celebration, right? There's a couple reasons. One is, uh, I don't know if you noticed the two teams that were in that video. It's the Packers and the Patriots. It's the teams that everybody in America loves to hate, right? No? Okay, never mind. I, apparently not. No, we, uh, it's the teams that like, ah, I don't want to watch the Patriots, I don't want the Packers, but then we see a play like that and we're like, oh, okay, that's pretty cool. That's pretty fun to watch. And so it has this like natural unifying effect uh, when we see something like that. But then the other thing is too is, I don't know if you notice this, but he's a lineman he, that you heard Al Michaels say, he's a right guard, the right guard. Now, if you don't know anything about football, uh, that's a big deal because the right guard isn't normally the person who's carrying the ball. He didn't look all that athletic or trim shall we say, and, uh, and so he looks a little awkward running with the ball. But here's the thing, linemen, they're not very fast, but once they get going, once they get ahead of steam, uh, there's all kinds of momentum, and it's really hard to take them down because they're like a Mack truck driving down the field, right? It's funny to watch, and, and it's really unique, actually. We don't, we don't normally see something like that, and so we want to watch more because you just never know when those kinds of moments are going to happen in sports. We're drawn into sports. Uh, because of these things. Or maybe sports isn't your thing. Uh, maybe it's something else. Maybe you don't keep uh, being driven to go back and to watch those things. Maybe instead, for you, it's The Bachelor. I, I don't know. Maybe, maybe you're like, I want to watch The Bachelor. I'm ashamed of it, but I just want to see who they're going to pick. And so you keep on watching The Bachelor. Whatever it might be, uh, we are driven to want to see these things, these unique things, and we don't want to miss a single moment. We're driven. But that's That's just sports and entertainment and reality TV or maybe not so reality TV, right? It's just temporary. What about about spiritual things? What about eternal things? What drives us spiritually? What does God get excited about? Where is the momentum in the kingdom of God? And as I was thinking about those questions, I kept coming back to this verse. It's from Luke chapter 15, verse 10. It says this, there is joy in the presence of God's angels when even one sinner repents. Think about that. Maybe you're newer to the church or newer to the Bible and this idea of joy in the presence of God's angels. What would that look like? What would that be like? How unreal would that be? Unbelievable would that be in all the positive ways? Joy in the presence of God's angels is there dancing? Is there singing? Is there, what, what is that like? But we see that there's joy in the presence of God's angels. When? When even one sinner repents. What does that mean? When one person who is seemingly far from God or feels as though they are far from God begins to turn. Repent simply just means turn. Turn toward God. Turn toward relationship and health 
and joy. There is joy in the presence of God's angels when even one sinner repents. It's this idea that there's a sense of momentum, that there is a sense of drive here. What drives us? What gets us excited when there's life change? Or maybe a better way to say it is that we are driven by new life. We're driven by new life. It it, it drives us. It keeps us going. It gives us momentum to keep on going, kind of like that lineman going down the field. That No no matter what comes our way, we just have, have a full head of steam and momentum to go on forward. We are driven by new life. This is the what and the why of this entire series. This is why we do what we do, because we are driven by new life at Life Church. What does that mean? What does that look like? I want to continue to read, actually, in Luke chapter 15, just right beyond this. It says, to illustrate the point further. So we're going to read about that, but actually, right before that, there's two other stories. One about a lost sheep, the other one about a lost coin. Now we're about to read a story about a lost son. Let's read in verse 11, and if you don't have a Bible with us, we always have the scripture on the screen, and so you can follow along in that way. To illustrate the point further, Jesus told them this story. A man had two sons. The younger son told his father, I want my share of your estate now before you die. So his father agreed to divide his wealth between his sons. A few days later, his, this younger son packed all his belongings and moved to a distant land, and there he wasted all his money in wild living. About the time his money ran out, a great famine swept over the land, and he began to starve. He persuaded a local farmer to hire him, and the man sent him into his fields to to feed his pigs. And the young man became so hungry that even the pods he was feeding the pigs looked good to him, but no one gave him anything. When he finally came to his senses, he said to himself, At home, even the hired servants have food enough to spare, and here I am dying of hunger. I will go home to my father and I will say, Father, I have sinned against both heaven and you and I am no longer worthy of being called your son. Please take me on as a hired servant. So he returned home to his father and while he was still a long way off, his father saw him coming and filled with love and compassion, he ran to his son, embraced him and kissed him. His son said to him, Father, I have sinned against both heaven and you, and I'm no longer worthy of being called your son. But his father said to the servants, Quick, bring the finest robe in the house, put it on him. Get a ring for his finger and sandals for his feet, and kill the calf that we have been fattening. We must celebrate with a feast, for this son of mine was dead and now has returned to life. He was lost, but now he was found. So the party began. Everybody say, Let's party. It's party. I love this story. It's a party. It's a celebration. There is drive. There is momentum in a story like this. A lot of people have heard this story before, whether you've been in the church, maybe even outside of the church. This story has been popular for quite some time. There's reason for it. We get excited about it. There's joy in this story, isn't there? There's a couple things that I want to point out, and I would say this, that I, I believe that the Father is driven He's driven by new life. He's driven by this opportunity for life change and transformation. But I want to unpack just a couple things. I've got baseball on my brain right now. For those of you who don't know me, I'm a Twins fan, and they just got brutally uh, killed by the Yankees last night, so we're hoping for something different. We don't need to cheer about that. 
That's Daniel. He's new here. He doesn't know how things work. <laughs> but I got baseball on the brain, and so I've been thinking about this, the son. He, he, he really strikes out three times, probably more, but we're going to say he strikes out three times, or he, he, he has three strikes, and then he's out. But here's the deal. First of all, he asks for his father's inheritance, for his father's wealth, before he dies. Now, in that culture, and maybe even in this culture, that's incredibly offensive, it's as though you would go up to your dad. How many of you have asked your mom or your dad for money? It's really uncomfortable, right? You go up to your dad and to say, hey, actually, I just wish you were dead so I could have your money now, but since you're not, I just really would like your money now still. I'm just really interested in what you have to give me and not really interested in you. It's incredibly offensive and dishonoring in that culture. Strike one. The second thing is, he goes to a distant land. And what we know a little bit about this distant land is there's the presence of pigs. Now, if you've been around for the last couple of weeks, this has come up a, a couple different times. We've been talking about Gentiles uh, as, as where pigs would be, Gentile lands. Gentiles are simply non-Jewish people. And though, so it's believed that this son was probably Jewish. And so Jesus is telling this story to bring up the scandalous nature of where he is and where he is going. He's going to distant Gentile lands where there are pigs that are unclean. You do not associate with Gentiles and with pigs. And it brings up how much more offensive this story would have been. Strike two. And then the last thing, he wastes all of his money. All of it. Not a single dime gets spent on anything that is good or fruitful or anything life-giving. Instead, he wastes all of his money on wild living. Strike three, and he's out. He's out. At this point, as Jesus is telling this story, all of the hearers in the room or the village, wherever he's telling, telling the story, would have thought, oh yeah, he's done. The younger son is done. He's He's out of the family. He's out of the will. And so this is the backdrop for what we're about to see. But that's not how the father responds, is it? In fact, it's quite the opposite. And I would say that the father is driven by new life, by something new, something different. See, the first thing that we see is that the father sees him, sees him a long way off. Now, that would mean we would have to assume that he was actually looking for his son, that he was preparing for his son in order to see him a long way off. So the father hasn't given up on the son, doesn't believe that the son has broken relationship with the family and with the village, that he is looking for his son to return. And when he does see him a long way off, he begins to run, to run after his son. Now that's important for you and I. We don't necessarily recognize that when we read this at face value, but something that we need to know about that culture and that time is that it was also offensive and dishonorable for a man of great wealth, great stature, nobility, to run and to expose their legs, essentially. Why is that important? Because they wore long, maybe heavy robes, and they would have to lift up those robes in order to run. And in so doing, they would expose their legs, which was also offensive for a person to do. Now, I'm not going to do that right now, because even though I lost head, uh, hair on my head, I still have hair on my legs, and it's kind of ugly looking, and so I want you to know that you belong, and so I'm not going to spare you with that. But this is what the father has to do in order to run after his son. Now, why in the world is he running? Why is he running? Maybe he's just happy to see him, just can't wait to go and hug him and kiss him. Maybe that's part of it. But there's something else that we don't necessarily see when we read this at face value. 
It's another cultural background, a piece of context that's important to recognize. Everybody say the word kazaza. Kazaza, it's kind of a fun word to say, but it's not such a fun meaning. Uh, it, it has some context in the ancient world. And what it meant was that if you had a son or a daughter who left the house in the same way that this son left his family, and they tried to come back, uh, it, they, they would have not been welcomed back. They dishonored the family by something they did or something they said or a variety of different things that dishonored the family and the village. And so what Kazaza was was simply uh, that the family and the village, the whole community, would come out to uh, outside of the village to meet with this person who was trying to return home. And what they would do is they would bring with them a pot like this. And they would want to signify uh, that the relationship is now broken by simply dropping the pot. Why is the father running out to see his son? because he wants to get out ahead of the family and the village to embrace his son and say, you are still my son. You think the father is driven by new life? He doesn't want his son to experience the brokenness and, and the moment where he is now going to be cut off from the rest of the family and the rest of the village. No, he says, you are still my son. And his son is about to tell him how unworthy he is. But the father dishonors himself already, and so he continues to go as far as to say, no, actually, you do have worth. And he's willing to back it up with his actions. See, the father does uh, something radical. He doesn't just get him some new clothes to wear. He gets him the finest robe to wear and a ring for his finger, which was a sign of, of royalty and belonging among other things. And not only that, but they get sandals on his feet and they go and kill the fattened calf. Meat was reserved for only special occasions, let alone the fattened calf is now killed for this feast. We must celebrate. The son's speech ends early. See, he had intended on saying, please take me on as a hired servant. But that's the only part of his speech he doesn't get to say. Because the father doesn't want him to be a servant. The father wants him to be his son. The father is driven by new life, by restored relationship. He doesn't want brokenness. He wants something more. The father is driven by this more, this celebration. We must celebrate. We must have a feast. But the story's not over, because there's another son. And we continue to read in verse 25. Meanwhile, the older son was in the fields working. When he returned home, he heard music and dancing in the house, and he asked one of the servants what was going on. Your brother is back, he was told, and your father has killed the fattened calf. We're celebrating because of his safe return. The older brother was angry. He wouldn't go in. His father came out and begged him, but he replied, all these years I've slaved for you and never once refused to do a single thing that you've told me to do. And in all that time, you never gave me even one young goat for a feast with my friends. Yet when this son of yours comes back after squandering your money on prostitutes, you celebrate by killing the fattened calf? His father said to him, look, dear son, 
You have always stayed by me, and everything I have is yours. We had to celebrate this happy day. For your brother was dead and has come back to life. He was lost, but now he is found. And the story ends there. Almost as if Jesus is giving us an opportunity to respond. How do we feel about this moment right now? Who do we resonate with? What's going on in our hearts? See, I believe that the father is driven by new life. He's driven for both of his sons to experience transformation, not brokenness. See, if the father is driven by new life, what's the older brother driven by? What's the opposite of this? Is he driven by, by duty, just doing the right thing, by following all the rules, by systems? Or maybe the opposite of new life is old death. But see, Jesus did away with that, right? We just sang a song, death was arrested and my life began. If anybody is in Christ, they are therefore a new creation. The old has gone and the new has come. Jesus has done away with old death. But the older brother seems to be driven by that more so than new life. I think about it in terms of our codes over here. You belong takes on a different flavor with the older brother, doesn't it? So it's, it's not you belong, it's you better behave and follow all the rules and do all the work that you're supposed to do and maybe believe a certain way and only then can you belong. Or maybe for the older brother, whatever it takes, wherever it takes us, a relentless pursuit of more looks like stay in line. Don't rock the boat. Don't encourage change. Maintain the status quo. It could be any number of things. But I think the thing that sticks out to me the most is in verse 28. It's a loaded verse. It says the older brother was angry and wouldn't go in, even though his father came out and begged him to come in. He begged him, be part of this, be part of the celebration. But the older brother is angry. See, what strikes me about this is that the, the older brother is he's not apathetic or, or neutral. It's not as though he's like, eh, no thanks, not a big deal. My brother's back. No, he's angry. He goes as far as to be angry and to be upset with his father and share all the reasons why his father is wrong in having a celebration. See, I think what's interesting is we, we do come back to this story often in the church. It's energizing. It's, it's got tons of momentum. It's the source for one of the greatest songs ever written, Amazing Grace. I once was lost, but now I'm found. We, we, we see the compassion and the mercy of the father here. He begs us into new life. Both sons need transformation. And so what strikes me about verse 28 is that either way, we cannot stay neutral. We can't be apathetic when we see something like this. When we experience something like this, you cannot be neutral. It has to cause a response. And that response is to give God glory. We give him glory for who he is, for the behavior of the Father. We, we love that. We want that for ourselves. We want new life. We are driven by new life. We want to see more new life. And because of that new life, because of experiencing that new life, we can't help but give God glory. What does that mean? 
The ancient people wrote about this in the Psalms. They would say things like, not to us, but to your name be the glory. Or give thanks to the Lord, for he is good. His faithful love endures forever. Give glory to God and praise his name. What does that mean for the ancient people? To give God glory. Giving God glory was, was crucial. It was part of celebration. There was many festivals and feasts to uh, identify how we would go about giving God glory. In fact, I had an opportunity a couple years ago to go to Israel for a study trip, a two-week study trip, and most of it was in Jerusalem, specifically in the old city, Jerusalem. And, and there were uh, big groups of Orthodox Jewish people who uh, were celebrating. We, by the time that we were there, they had just gotten on the tail end of one of their celebrations. Uh, and then we were starting another celebration called Simchat Torah, which was a celebration of the Torah, the first five books of the Old Testament, among other things. There's lots of depth and complexity to their celebrations, but they would just randomly be breaking out into song and dance, and whole big groups of guys would be dancing around in a circle with their arms on, the, on their shoulders, and they'd be singing and shouting and drinking wine and carrying this, this thing with them that they were celebrating. And it would just, it would just overwhelm you. It was it was amazing to see. It was a celebration. It felt like it was crucial, like they just had to do this. It was a part of what it meant to be the people of God. But not only was it celebratory, it was also just contagious. For those of us who were there as sort of tourists, uh, we, we sort of wanted to participate. I even saw some tourists just joining in, dancing. They had no idea what they were doing. We can't help but want to be a part of this joy and this celebration to give God glory to remember who he is and what he's doing in our midst. We do these things, we shout, we sing, we clap. And maybe if we're on the outside of all of that, or maybe we've been in church for a while and it feels weird to clap or to sing out loud, maybe we think all of that stuff is weird, but consider something for just a moment, if you will. We gather in groups of thousands of people from time to time all around uh, a few people who are running around and doing different things, and one of them might be carrying an odd-shaped ball. And, and if they cross a specific line, then all of a sudden the, the thousands of people erupt and they stand and they cheer and they clap without anybody telling them to do it. And then not only that, but they all just start hugging the random people around them. They might not even know them, but they just want to go and hug them and, and cheer with them. Uh, and, and nobody's telling them to do it. And they might wear all of the same colored clothing, but nobody's telling them to do it. And then all of a sudden, if something big happens, they might just break out into song that somehow everybody knows. Skull Vikings, let's win this game. Oh, that's the only one I know, I'm sorry. They just sing these random songs and nobody is telling them to. And then all of a sudden, if they win a really big game, uh, then they'll go to the guy in charge and they'll bring up a big old bucket of Gatorade and pour it on his head. And then if something really cool happens, uh, they'll lift up a player or a coach, put them on their shoulders and walk around the stadium. And everybody is cheering and nobody tells them that this is what they're supposed to do. They just naturally do it. And we pay a lot of money, a lot of money, to participate in these kinds of activities. That's giving glory. How much more for new life? How much more do we want to get excited and clap and cheer and hug random people and adjust our finances all for the sake of new life? Are we driven by new life? I love this idea of being 
driven. It's why I'm here. It's why I do what I do as a pastor and everybody else on staff. It's why we do what we do. It's why the volunteers do what they do because they are driven by new life. They want to see life change and they're willing to do all different kinds of things. They'll reorient their lives around this one task because they are driven by new life. It's why we do what we do. It absolutely is. I love the the moments of life change that happens, the new life that happens. Not just the big events, but some of the seemingly mundane and small events where a young person might come up to me and say, hey, I just read this verse and I think it means this. Am I right? And I want to say, yes, yes, that's right. I get excited about that. I love seeing a a volunteer who steps into a new role and then says, hey, I I actually would like to pray. Would it be okay if I tried praying, and even though it doesn't sound like a Shakespearean sonnet, it sounds amazing to the voice, to the ears of God, because they're wanting to step in and participate in what God is doing in their heart and soul. There's life change there. Transformation, new life is any movement toward Jesus. Going from the old to the new, going from old death to new life. Experiencing joy, experiencing a new sense of peace. It's seeing broken relationships made whole again. And it's why, again, we come back over and over and we sing and we clap and we cheer. We get excited about this. It's why if any of you have experienced a transformational moment in your life and you've never been baptized before, then you get baptized and you go down into water signifying that I'm, my old life is gone but my new life has now begun. If you haven't been baptized before, you need to do this. To participate in this celebration, we must celebrate because you were once dead but now you are alive in Christ. But not just you, that need to get baptized, it's all of us that need to participate in the celebration. It's why we say, come to every service, come to every New Life weekend and be a part of this. We have to celebrate because we are driven by New Life. We have New Life weekend coming up in November. Maybe that's you that needs to sign up for that. That's what New Life is. Has God made anything new in your life? Let's celebrate it together. We are driven by it. But also we need to define driven. What does it mean to be driven? We change our priorities. We live on purpose. We reorient our lives around this purpose. I think about it like this. When our son was born, he's our oldest, he was our, our firstborn, and, and it, everything was new to us. It was this brand new experience. And all of a sudden now they're like, okay, here he is. You've got to take him home now and you have to be in charge of him. And it's just, you know, you feel like a deer in headlights and you haven't slept in two days. And now you're supposed to take care of this person and keep them alive. That's a big responsibility. And, uh, and so we get, in the, we get the child into the car seat and you just feel like it's covered in bubble wrap. And, and it should be because what if they break? Uh, and then you put him in the back of the car. And I'm normally a lead foot. I may or may not have gone over the speed limit from time to time in my life. But I had this child in the back seat of my car, and I was going 25 and like a 65. Just, you know, just I want to take it real slow. And then I became that old curmudgeon that's pointing and yelling at everybody going by me. You kids, slow down over there. You know, I just wanted to change the way that I drove. I changed the way that we spent our time. We changed the way that we spent our money. We realized how selfish we were with our time. 
realize how busy you get. And then you just want to dedicate your time to this thing, this child. You reorient your lives when you are driven by something, physically, a, a, a new life. What about the things of the kingdom of God? We're driven by those things. We reorient our lives around this purpose. We change certain patterns, certain rhythms within our life to meet this goal of new life. But I do need to make a distinction because driven, being driven can sometimes get confused with running yourself ragged, with leading a life toward exhaustion and and not new life. And actually, our identity becomes wrapped up in our activity. And drivenness just, like, just looks like killing your soul. And it's more about you than it is about the greater purpose of, of new life. And that's really hard. See, absolutely, there are many of us in this room, we do need to be called up higher. We do need to pay attention to whatever it takes, wherever it takes us, the relentless pursuit of one more, absolutely. But drivenness cannot lead to exhaustion, to the point of more broken relationships. I've been in ministry for long enough to know that there are lots of sad stories of pastors where their kids have left the faith, left the church altogether because of their parents' priorities as pastor. I don't ever, ever want my kids to grow up and to leave the church and to leave the faith because they say, well, dad had time for everybody else, but he never had time for me. If being driven leads you to more divisive relationships, then it's not new life. You're driven by something else. Maybe old death. Our activity must flow out of our identity. And if our identity is in new life, then that means we need to continually receive new life, continually be renewed by new life, which ultimately comes from Jesus. He is our source of new life. We look to him. You do not need to be the savior of the world. We already have one of those. It's not up to you to fix everything. He does the renewing. He does the restoring within us. Being driven by new life means that new life has to drive us. And new life is only found in Christ. We are driven by new life. It's who we are as Life Church, and it's who we will continue to be. And we want to give God glory because of the new life that he has given each one of us. In fact, we get to celebrate that in just a moment with something called communion, where for 2,000 years, the church has celebrated this rhythm. They repeat this rhythm of receiving new life, remembering why we do what we do, why Christ ultimately did what he did. Would you please stand with me? Maybe for some of you, as I was speaking about new life, that you don't know what that means. You don't know what that experience is like. You don't know what that new sense of joy and peace looks like in your life. And maybe for some of you, as I read the story, you resonated with that younger son. Maybe you've tried to go all different kinds of directions with your life. You've tried putting your hope in money and possessions in a certain kind of lifestyle. 
or certain kinds of friendships and it just doesn't seem to be providing what you need, what you're ultimately looking for. May I urge you, come be part of the feast. The Father is begging you, inviting you in to participate in the party. If you want to join in with this party, I want to encourage you to pray something like this. God, I have been searching for answers, for hope, for peace. I've looked in a lot of different directions. I still haven't found it. God, would you fill me with new life in Christ? I repent. I turn away from the things that I thought would bring me life, and I turn toward you. My friend, when you turn towards Jesus, there is joy in the presence of God's angels. There is celebration in all of heaven when you simply make any move toward Jesus. And for those of us who have maybe been settling back into the ways of the older brother where we've been following our our duty, it's our activity, and beginning to identify with that as our main source of life, but we find that we also are struggling. God, we want to recommit our whole self to you. We give ourselves over to you. We also receive the rest and the peace that you want to give us. We want to be driven by new life, not by our activity, but by new life. Thanks so much for listening. If you want to find out more information about Life Church Canton or other churches in the Life Church Network, you can go to lifechurchcanton.org or fill out the form linked in the show notes below, and someone from the church will reach out to you with more information. If you came to Life Church for the first time this past weekend, we would love to know about it. We believe that life isn't meant to be lived in isolation, but we want to connect with you and learn to live like Jesus in community together. If you want to email the show, you can do that at podcast at lifechurchcanton.org. You can subscribe to this show wherever you get your podcasts. And if you're enjoying it, please share it with a friend and leave us a review. Once again, my name is Sam Parham, and you've been listening to the Life Church Canton podcast. Have a great week, everybody.